0: You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, episode 10. And can we check this mic? I'm still getting a little bit of feedback. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now let's join your host, Seth Muse, who never
1: uses algebra at all.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast. I am Seth, and I'm your host today. Today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. His name is Wes Gay, and Wes is passionate about equipping his generation to become the greatest generation of leaders. Uh, Through a process he calls the Millennial Pipeline, he helps organizations build cultures that create leaders worth following. He's an executive coach, a consultant, and a Forbes.com contributor. He finds out what companies do to find and keep great millennial talent. Uh, Wes and his wife have two kids. They're both under two. They live in Atlanta, and he's just a really fun guy to be around. So uh, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about building a healthy feedback system. You know, if if you're a boss, this is a great system to build for your company, for your organization, for your church that allows employees to have a healthy system to give great feedback. It also allows employers to give great feedback to their employees. And it does it in a way that's safe, that allows people to be honest, yet also allows things to get improved and done better. And so Wes has written on some pretty pretty important topics for Forbes, especially when it comes to the group called the Millennials, which is now, I think, dividing into two groups, You know, the older Millennials, the younger Millennials, and then there's a group coming up that's in high school now that I don't even know if they have a name. Millennials are roughly that group. Group between, that were born between 1982 uh, and some say 1980 and 82, somewhere in that range. It's really fuzzy, and then that uh, I think it stops around 2004. So uh, someone that might be 35 or 36 these days could be considered a millennial. I'm technically Generation X. I'm 37, so it. But I have, but I have a lot of friends that are millennials, and so it's really a large group of people as well. And they are now becoming leaders and entrepreneurs and entering the workforce. But there's also a younger group that uh, could be anywhere from 15 to 20 years old that are just now kind of entering this adulthood that uh, marketers and sales and companies are trying to reach. So Wes writes for Forbes and has a lot of insight on how to create a good feedback system, especially when trying to to train up millennial leaders in your organization. And I know churches, if you are a pastor who is over 35 or 36, you're in a different generation. Most likely you're a baby boomer. And and understanding this millennial group is probably what keeps you up at night a little bit. So Wes has got some really great insights for us about creating a pipeline of, of leadership feedback that helps us to make uh, what we do at the church a little bit more efficient and a A little bit healthier, and honestly, I could say this is good for churches. This is great for businesses and organizations as well, because every system or every organization out there needs a system like this. Because this is, and I actually wrote a blog about four systems you need, and um, I might need to add this. I think this is a really important part of the systems that help make organizations function properly. So. Here's my interview with Wes Gay. It's really fun. And at the end, you need to stick around for not only for five on the spot, five random questions, but because in one of those questions, he gives us a recipe for cooking steak that will blow your mind. You can find all these links that I'm gonna talk about today in the show notes at uh, episode sorry, SethMuse.com slash episode ten. You can go there and get all of these show notes and all these links and a quick summary of what we talked about. So SethMuse.com backslash episode 10, episode one zero. No spaces in between there, all one all connected. And you can find the show notes for today. As always, visit me at SethMuse.com, read blogs, and you can sign up to receive my ebook that I've written on my first few years of experience in the church and ministry and what I learned by failing quite a bit. It's a fun book. I hope you like it. All right, so let's get into it. Let's listen to what Wes has got for us, and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for being here with me. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. My guest today, I'm really excited about, is Wes Gay. And Wes uh, is is really passionate about equipping the next generation, his generation, of leaderships. Uh, and uh, he has a process called the Millennial Pipeline. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about where he writes and some of the things he does. But, Wes, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, man. I'm really thrilled to be here and uh, spend some time with you today.
0: Yeah, thanks for taking the time and hanging out and, and, and helping our listeners Get a little bit of a of a grip on what we're actually going to get into today, which is feedback and getting good feedback and what bad feedback looks like. So I'm excited to get into that. But first, just tell us about you and what you do and kind of where you are in your life and ministry and how you're uh, equipping this this generation that you're in.
1: Sure. Yeah. I uh, I grew up in ministry. So my dad has been a uh, Southern Baptist worship pastor for like for about 35 years. He and my mom are living in Southeast Alabama, where I'm originally from, and he's been a worship pastor of the church there for about 12 years. Mom plays the piano. Uh, sister I got, is younger than me. She plays piano. She's a middle school music teacher. I actually have a music degree, my undergrad's in music, but I'm never going to be a musician, a paid musician again. I've been there and done that in churches. But So I grew up in church, man, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night visitation, Wednesday night church, the whole deal, uh, super involved growing up. And Um, Went to a Baptist college, went to the University of Mobile. Some of your listeners may be familiar with that down in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, (laughs) just kind of my faith journey. I grew up doing everything. I mean, I was even on a search committee in high school, which was one of the weirdest church experiences I've ever had. And search committees are clearly not in the Bible because some of them can be painful.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Wow. As a high school student, you were on a search committee? Yeah. So we
1: were looking for a student pastor. And they were like, hey, let's put a student on there. And it was like three hours a week of mind-numbingly – Mind-numbingness. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, I mean, man. That was probably more intelligent than some of the meetings we had. But anyways, and <laughs> I got to college, and, uh, and at seven, I had checked the box on our bulletin, gotten baptized, the whole deal. And through high school, man, I was I had preached at some stuff, I had led worship for a long time because I've been playing guitar forever. And um, it was my freshman year of college. Long story short, I realized while working at a church, I was in fact lost, and uh, my whole salvation story was based on my spiritual resume and not what Christ had done on the cross. And I, I literally admitted it to myself sitting on the sofa in our college pastor's office at the church I was working at at the time in Mobile, Alabama. So, um, it was, so that was my journey. And then finished college, worked for a nonprofit right after that, um, did leadership training and development events, fell in love, uh, with the concept of leadership development. I had worked with this organization all through college every summer down in Orlando and just fell in love with the concept of, man, how do you grow as a leader? How do you develop leaders? Because there's such great power in in, in empowering leaders in the next generation. Yeah. And, man, every week I was watching it with high school kids. And we got eighth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth graders even saying, man, here are my dreams. Here's my goals here. I'm, So I'm going to do it. And then we would hear the follow-up stories were un stinking believable what these eighth and ninth grade kids were doing.
0: Yeah, man. And that, so that's so cool. I mean, my years in youth ministry, it was always so challenging. I don't think the youth mm-hmm. knew just how much they kind of pushed me to really go, Oh yeah. man, you're doing what now? And yeah. Okay. I need to be thinking about uh-huh. my dreams and how I see the the big picture of what's going on in my life. And mm-hmm. they just don't realize how much power they really have to influence us and how they challenge no, us. Kid. And it's it's great.
1: Yeah. It really is, and that's where I really had the fire lit for leadership development. And so, uh, after that, uh, I guess I was there about a year, and then went to came to the Atlanta area, which is where I am now. And I've been in a couple of churches around Atlanta uh, doing like media communications, um, which is a vague title for uh, yeah. a lot of a lot of stuff. So I've done everything from like marketing campaigns to social media to uh, Sunday morning production to. Um, led worship. I've preached. I've done the offering. Man, I've done it all. Everything that you can do in a Sunday morning service, I've done. Mm. Uh, it's really <laughs> random. So, yeah. But for the last six months or so, uh, I've been doing. Uh, self-employed stuff. So, like executive coaching, I work. I'm partnered with an executive coaching firm here in Atlanta, and we work with company. We work with people like the CDC, you know, the government Center for Disease Control. Uh, we work with some oh, wow. other global companies. Work with some locally based leaders. Work with leaders all over the country in leadership coaching. And you know, how can you improve uh, your capacity? How can you improve your potential? Uh, also, have been uh, recent, more recently, starting to work with companies on developing what I call the millennial pipeline, which is how do we, de- how can we develop a culture where we create and invest in millennial leaders worth following. Because we can talk about I, I can talk about this until uh, the cows come home, so to speak. Yeah, but, uh, you know, millennials were going to be three fourths of the American workforce by 2025, which means it's going to be true of the churches, our churches too. And so, if we're not intentionally investing in millennials, especially in the churches, whether it's at the pastor level. Or even in our millennial volunteers, whether it's deacons or elders or committee leaders or youth volunteers or whatever, if we're not investing in this generation to lead well, we're going to really drop the baton when the handoff comes really within the next few years. Yeah. So starting to work with more companies, uh, just this is such a big issue if we're not doing it right, if we're not focused on it. You know, it's going to be 2025, 20, 75% of employees are going to be millennials, and none of us are going to know how to lead well.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, I read something I wanted to ask you about this too, because you do mm-hmm. a lot of speaking, a lot of research on millennials. I mean, you yourself yeah. are a millennial. I am. Um, so, I mean, I, I read this, this stat the other day. I can't remember exactly what it said. It was something like in the next few years, you know, as the millennial group becomes larger, like you said, larger mm-hmm. part of the workforce that they were actually going to be more entrepreneurial, like a larger percentage of the workforce was of the millennial group was going to be an entrepreneurial group. I mean, they're really interested in working for themselves and starting Mm -hmm. businesses. And, and do you see that? Is that a true stat or is that valid? Yeah.
1: I don't remember the exact number. I've seen that too. And, um, the reason it's true is this, my generation, Uh, you got to think we grew up through two major financial crises. So the 2000, the, you know, the dot-com burst of the early two thousands and, uh, obviously the housing market crash. So there's that. And also Mm -hmm. technology has made it so much easier to be your own boss. I mean, the internet, all you need is a laptop and an internet connection and you can do all kinds of things. Yeah. So, uh, that's definitely true. Um, and just from a company level, And I've actually, well, let me, I'll share this and then I'll finish my thought. I also am a a writer for Forbes.com on the under 30 section. It's relatively new, uh, on the Forbes thing. They've been doing that for less than a year where Mm. I focus on uh, talking to companies to find out what they're doing to find and keep great millennial talent. So what are the recruitment and retention practices of companies that work when it comes to the millennials, which when I say millennials, I mean, anybody born between 1980 and 2000. So, you know, roughly 16 to 35. Which is a broad or thirty six, which is a broad gap. Yeah, um, but and, and I'm I'm right in there,
0: and that's weird too, because for me mm. I, I'm I've I'm thirty seven, so I'm like right there. You're I'm, on the edge. Yeah, I'm technically Gen X, but I had friends. I guess I would like identify mm-hmm. as a millennial. I have friends sure. that are younger, and in they're always two or three younger years younger than me. My wife is three years right. younger than me. So it kind of makes sense to me some of the things that millennials want to do, Mm -hmm. and and they want as they get older and they start leading in the mid thirties now, leading businesses, becoming senior Mm -hmm. pastors. uh, You know, you see this entrepreneurial, self starter kind of mm-hmm. idea in them and that changes how they run the church, how they make decisions uh-huh. in, in governing the church and how we do finances and how we are right. like going to spend our money and rebudget. And mm-hmm. it's really changing how churches operate just because millennials are moving in and they just don't, they don't want to like put their money in, in stuff that's not going to do something, you know, And they yeah. really, they want to make sure they're taken care of financially. I mean, they're, just, they're mm-hmm. really smart with money. I mean, they really yeah. are smarter with money.
1: Yeah. um, And some of that comes back to just having been through such financial uh, challenges. You know, getting a lot of millennials getting out of college, going into the workforce. And what happens? Well, the housing market crashes and older baby boomers lose their retirement. So they're having to work longer. So there's less job opening. So, in some ways, Mm -hmm. millennials have to be entrepreneurial. But where I was saying a minute ago, one thing you're seeing now in companies too is they're allowing millennials who are employees. To be entrepreneur, entrepreneurs internally. They're calling it intrapreneurs. Oh. Uh, and it's this idea where you have a culture that basically allows millennials to do their jobs, but also gives them the freedom to chase new ideas, to fund projects internally, think entrepreneurially, but within a company. Wow, and that's fact, exciting. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a conversation with a company last week because when I write for Forbes, I do a lot, I do a ton of interviews, just phone interviews and conversations with, I've talked to, IBM, which has 400,000 employees. I've talked to Basecamp, a popular project management software, yep. uh, ESPN, uh, and some others. And um, this entrepreneurship thing is a, like Google's doing it. I mean, a lot of companies are doing it because you're really allowing people to, to chase ideas because it's when you do that, it empowers them and it lets them see results quickly and gives them ownership. And one of the ways I think this impacts the church is that I think too often the church moves really, really slow to make decisions and to get things done. But millennials, particularly because of technology, are leading this idea that, man, let's move things faster. Let's forget trying to get this thing perfect. Let's get it good and get it out the door and then figure out how to make it better as we go, right? So, I think every
0: uh, pastor listening just punched the air. When yeah. you said that the church moves <laughs> slow, let's get it going they faster. Do,
1: yes, and this let's uh, do that. <laughs> let's do. Yeah. Um, from and some of your some of the audience may know this based on the, some of who their church members are, but in the in the world of uh, project management, there's this idea called agile management, and it's the it's thought that you don't wait till it's perfect, or you don't wait till it's really even done. You get it to a point that's good, and you get it out the door, and then you you fix it as you go. I mean, you improve it as you go along, and. For example, I did a, I wrote a thing on Forbes a few weeks ago that was a an interview with the guy who developed the Chick-fil-A One app, which uh, I think yeah. we should all have a moment of silence for a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich because it's one of the greatest oh. things on the planet.
0: Man, you know, um, I, I, sorry, quick aside, when I've been in Atlanta, I've realized that Chick-fil-A tea is basically Atlanta tea because every, yeah. t- everywhere I get sweet tea in Atlanta, it tastes like Chick-fil-A. It's super it's sweet. Hilarious. Oh, It's so good. It's so good. Man.
1: If if you've never been to their headquarters, it is a dream. I've been there a few times, and it's an unbelievable. It's like it's uh, kind of like
0: a Google or a headquarter, Facebook headquarters,
1: no, or not quite. Uh, it's a little more interesting. The so Truett Cathy. This is totally off topic, but Truett Cathy, yeah. before he passed away, was really big into collecting cars. And they they told they told us at one point he had 130 cars in his collection, all updated tag and title, including like a Rolls Royce from the year he was born, so like a 19 something, 1910 or 1914 or whatever it is. Oh man! Yeah, he even had a Batmobile from one of the Batman movies. No, uh, not the new one, but the old, the original Batman movies. So, old, I, don't, was, I old, don't know if it was Clo- it was either Clooney or Keaton, one of the two <laughs> one of those Batman. So then he also the old had a,
0: guy had a Batmobile.
1: Legit too, that's like awesome. from the movie set, and then he also had a DeLorean from uh, Back to the Future yeah. in the lobby of Chick Fil A. I don't know if they're still there; it's been a while since I've been down there. But they also have a cafeteria with a milkshake machine, which is awesome. Mm. Uh, yeah, man. Now so now that everybody's hungry, yeah. uh, but anyways, when I was talking to this guy, he was this whole idea. He was saying that's how they built the app was that we knew when our launch date was, but we also know we're not done. Right? It's this constant updating, this constant changing, and this constant use of feedback, which is what we're going to talk about today. And this idea that for them, when it comes to developing this app, that everybody, that they've had 7 million downloads now for several weeks. It was the number one downloaded free app in the app store ahead of Facebook. I mean, it was yeah, wildly popular. Wow.
0: And giving and, uh, away a chicken sandwich for, for, for downloading, it doesn't hurt.
1: No, it doesn't. And mm-hmm. then they gave away free breakfast in September too, if you just had the app or if you downloaded it for the first time. Ooh. Um, but there is this constant update and this constant adjustment, constant course correction. Yeah. Now, that's how a lot of popular products we use are developed, right? So that's how Facebook does it. That's how Twitter does it. That's how Google does their work. It's a very, very popular model because what it does is it allows you to not get paralyzed by perfection. Mm-hmm. but instead get you to a point where let me get it out the door, let's hear what people are saying about it, how do customers like it, what do they wish was different, what do they wish it had more of, less of, whatever, and then you make updates as you go, and it's all based on feedback. And that is that word feedback is something I've heard literally in every conversation I've had when writing for Forbes about uh, employees, particularly millennials. You know, the statistics show, and there's a Gallup survey out there from earlier in 2016, that said millennials are more than twice as likely to be engaged if they meet regularly with their supervisor. So then they defined regularly, I think, is like once a month. So if you meet regularly with your supervisor, millennials are more than twice as likely to be engaged at their work. But that ratio of double is true across all generations. And I think the reason is pretty simple. People just want to know if they're doing the right, if they're doing a good job or not. Yeah. People just, am I doing this right? Am I working on this correctly? Was this even any good? Uh, Where can I improve? How can I get better? Those are questions that everybody's asking. And for those who are leaders listening to this, if you're the senior pastor, if you're an executive pastor, an administrator, if you have people under you, whether they're volunteers or staff, these are the questions they're asking. Am I doing the right thing? Can I do this better? Should I be doing something else? Should I even be doing this at all?
0: And to be honest, having been one of those guys on staff and, you know, a lot of us all have been at least under a boss somewhere. And we we often are asking those questions and the boss might think that they're actually helping us understand that uh, maybe they're just if they, they they might be one of those kinds of people that say well if i don't say anything that means you did it right
1: yeah
0: you know i've heard that before and if i don't give you feedback that means that you did it right keep doing that but that's right. that's hard for someone to assume because, again, we want to know we're doing it right. We don't want to assume we're doing it right and then someday keep doing what we're doing and then suddenly it's mm-hmm. wrong. And we're like, what happened? Why is it wrong? And I'm very frustrated now. Yeah. So that makes sense. A feedback loop is so necessary. But sometimes mm-hmm. I know that employees often wish they could give feedback and yeah. receive feedback from their boss. <laughs> yeah. uh, but a lot of times I think the the real stopper in the in the drain is the boss either – doesn't know how to give good feedback or doesn't want Mm -hmm. to hear feedback or, you know, there's just the kind of a, you guys just keep doing what you're doing and I'll let you know if it's wrong.
1: Mm -hmm. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Which is a terrible way to do it because, uh, I mean, can you imagine being on a plane and flying, I don't know, to New York and they're only going to check the course if they, if something goes wrong, like (laughs) are they not going to constantly check to make sure you're going to land in New York and not Toronto? Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I, part of the reason people have such a hard time giving feedback is because for one, it's not ingrained in our cultures like it should be. But two, when we ask for feedback, those of us who are asking for it are really vague. We'll say something like, well, what could I do differently? Or what could I, you know, what could be better? That's kind of open and that's kind of vague and hard and it puts somebody on the spot. And it makes it harder. I uh, when I was I had a conversation with a, um a millennial from IBM for one of the things I did for Forbes, and she had a great point. and i'm I, I'm giving it credit to her because I wasn't smart enough to come up with it, and I do want to say where it came from. But she said one thing she starts doing, she's started doing is asking people after a project or a presentation or something, she'll go to either her supervisor or a coworker, so somebody with even a horizontal relationship, not necessarily always vertical, and say, what is one thing I could do better in that presentation or in that project for the next time? Because what that does is, is a few things. One, it disarms the person you're asking because it gives them really clear parameters of what you're wanting. right? So you're asking, I want just one thing. But two, it also disarms them because it also lets them know, I may have done something well, but I could do that better, right? Uh, Kobe Bryant was a great shooter, but he didn't always get it right. You know, He could have still been better. So uh, how can you be even better than you – how can you get better at what you're already good at? Too often we think feedback is just pointing out what you did wrong. Uh, and that's a terrible way to look at it because then what it does is puts all the fo- focus on your weaknesses and not your strengths. So, so great feedback. I think if you're wanting to begin that culture, start by just asking that question more often. Start by if you have uh, somebody you work for, right, so if you're not the top leader, next time you do something. So maybe – Maybe you're the student pastor, and on Sunday you're you're the one giving the announcements, or you're the one doing the offering time. You know, like if you do a some kind of talk or prayer or whatever, ask somebody else. Maybe ask somebody else on staff, a trusted leader, say, "Hey, how could I get better at that for the next time? What could I improve? Uh, What's one way I could do that better next time?" Start asking that question.
0: And I think when you when the boss asks that question too, um, uh, and a lot of us who listen are in some kind of leadership role too, Mm -hmm. and Sometimes we ask that question, but we really haven't give us given a space that is actually safe to answer that question. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of, kind of like there That's needs true. to be some rules for like when we ask that, how the we're going to receive that back. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to defend myself when I ask that question. You know, I'm not yeah. going to try to explain to you why I didn't do it better when you said I should do it better. Uh huh. You know, and I think if 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 leaders are able to kind of Take a little bit of you know humble pie, and 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 eat it. Uh, I think that you can mm-hmm. learn some things because and and that's what this podcast is honestly a lot about the seminary of hard yeah. knocks. It's from learning sure. from those things that have you've actually failed at or didn't know how to mm-hmm. do very well and just figuring it out. So I think that's a brilliant point uh, about feedback and how to make. You know, that's safe and, and and creating that culture. But for someone you're saying who is a volunteer or someone who is mm-hmm. giving that feedback, you're saying they can create that culture.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they can. And I think, let's say you're a volunteer and you're just not getting any feedback. Go to the person, the staff member you report to, and just ask them that one question. Hey, how could I do this better? What's one way I could improve in whatever it is you do? Uh, and what, and if you begin to ask that question over time and honestly make changes based on what you're given, mm-hmm. I think it'll, it'll begin to shift the culture. You know, one thing you're talking about, they haven't created a safe space for this. Um, I think this is a thing Apple does, uh, and it's called fearless feedback. And the idea is this, if, you know, Seth, if you are out on the same staff, uh, let's say you're the senior pastor and I'm, uh, I don't know, an associate student pastor. So there's two or three organizational levels between us. Yeah. If we have a culture of fearless feedback, that means I can go to you even though you're you're the top guy. I can go to you and say, "Hey Seth, I've got some fearless feedback." And as soon as you enter into that space, hierarchy is gone, position is gone, title is gone. But yeah. the way I the way I've been told Apple does this and there's a there's a company, a social media marketing company here in Atlanta that they use this because they got it from Apple, but they use this internally. And they say as soon as – if I were to say, hey, Seth, I've got some fearless feedback, I then have to say, Seth, are you in a place to receive it, right? So if it's – I don't know. If it's you know twelve fifteen on Sunday, you're not in a place to receive feedback. You're just not. Right. You're just you're, – you're in people mode. You just got done preaching or whatever it is. Like you're just in that zone. But if it's Monday at 10 o'clock, you may go, yeah, I'm in – I can – you know i'm ready to receive it that means you're open to and willing to hear whatever it is and the next thing is if i have feedback for you if it's a if it's a potential problem i see whether it's about you or something else in the church i then also have to bring a solution i can't just say hey that was dumb or hey this is stupid <laughs> i have to say hey i think this is a problem but here's a way i think we can fix it yeah and then it's your responsibility to to hear that to listen to it to think about it and then act on it whether you do it or not Uh, that's one example I've heard of people using feedback in a really smart way to create a culture because you can't just say, Hey, we're going to start giving more staff feedback. You have to define the parameters. You got to give clarity if you're in leadership to your staff so they know the rules of engagement. Otherwise it could just be a war zone and people, a lot of times people mask feedback. They, they say, Oh, this is feedback. It's really constructive criticism, which I don't think actually exists because it's still criticism. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you criticize, you're intending to tear down, so you can't build up what you're tearing down. Uh, I wish we'd stop saying constructive criticism. A, B, I wish we would just stop saying, hey, I've got some constructive criticism for you, which means I'm going to tell you what I think whether you want to hear it or not. And that puts the that puts the hearer on the defensive and then can break trust from, from one to the other. Because I've had even somebody recently say, I need, I'm going to offer you some constructive criticism. And they said it in that tone, and I'm like, I don't want to hear this, but I can't say that. Because that's not, those, aren't the rules of engagement. Right. It's just, you feel just like a say,
0: jerk. Cause you're like, okay, well, this guy is about to say something to me. It's going to make yeah. me upset. It's going to hurt. and I'm not going to like it. He's already told me that. I am yeah, pre- I, mean, I am prepared for the worst. You know, you're,
1: you got the walls up or you, you're you ready to go, man. You're yeah. just ready to fight. And so I think if, if you want to believe, lead the culture, you've got to define, okay, how are we going to do it? Where are we going to do it? Who can do it with it to who? And uh, what are we going to say? What are we going to bring to the table? Cause you've, Got to define the rules of engagement. Otherwise, either nobody will do it, or it'll just get ugly fast.
0: Yeah, and I actually listened to uh, Andy Stanley talk about this a little bit on his leadership podcast. He he says that at three months, you know, every new employee goes through an evaluation, and in that evaluation, I think it's with him. uh, Wow. They go if at least if it's a direct report for him, it definitely is. But I think some of the other staff that are close to him, maybe that's wrong. But they go through a, a a evaluation and kind of here's how we think you're doing. But the last question is they create that kind of sp- safe, that fearless feedback space and space, say, yeah. what have you noticed as an outsider coming in to our organization that you think might, we might have got the blinders on,
1: yeah. you know, we,
0: we might not have, it's like that pile of trash in the corner of your house that you don't notice until somebody's coming over, you sure. know, that kind of thing. And it's like, what, what piles yeah. of trash do we have laying around? You know, what do you see that we don't see? Cause we've learned to live with it. And I think that's a great way to phrase it to your people, you know, that yeah. there's a there's a space for a church, you know, like, okay, a new person comes in or even a guest, you know, someone comes into your, your church and they've been there for three months and they're finally joining the church. They're going through the class. I think a great question for those classes is, what do you? What have you seen if you've been here a uh-huh. while? What do you see yeah. in our church that you could think, man, they're almost got it, but it's not quite there? We'd love to hear that from you. For me, if I'm going to a church and they and they ask me of that, because honestly, I've got a list. You know, I'm gonna I'm going yeah, in as a new person, sure. especially as an ex-staffer. You know, I've got an extremely long <laughs> list. They're usually, well, not that's not fair, but I'll have a list. And
1: that might be before the service starts. Yeah,
0: exactly. I'll be in the, <laughs> the parking lot going, nope, this isn't going to go well. There's not even yep. anybody. I don't, I have to walk two miles to the church. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 it could be anything, <laughs> but it, that would be a great way to create some space, not only from staff, but even from your guests to be able to say, yeah. how are we doing? And that, I think that goes really well with that model you're talking about. Let's release it and let's work on it as we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I,
1: what that does, what that does too, is it builds trust because it lets people know, Hey, you're willing to learn. you you, you acknowledge cause you have the humility to say, I haven't figured all this out. We want to get better what you're communicating is a posture of teachability mm-hmm. and a desire to constantly improve and i think that communicates volumes but the key is though like if you're doing it, like you said at the beginning at the end of a um, a first t- like a if you have a class and you go through the class at the end of that you have to you have to tell people what you're going to do with the information so if you get all this feedback from a church side you either need to say hey here's some things we're you need to literally say on a sunday morning hey here's some things we've changed because of feedback we've gotten yeah. Or you need to say, hey, here's some things we've heard, we've we've addressed it, we've prayed over it, we've evaluated it, and it just doesn't really fit with who we are. But we just want people to know, like, here are things we're hearing and being told, and we acknowledge it, at least acknowledge it, if you're going to do it as a church. Because otherwise, what you, what you get is a lot of data, and then people say, oh, they're never going to use it, so why would I bother telling them anything anymore?
0: Yeah, and I think that goes a long way with the millennial group that mm-hmm. are kind of done with the show. You know, they want that transparency yeah, in the sure. church, and when you stand up before them and go... Hey guys, we just don't get it in one of these places, and one of these things you've we've heard you, but we're going to move on. I think in any kind of feedback situation, really, just being heard is a big part of it. it it's just yeah. being being able to know that they're listening and taking into consideration other people's opinions. They're learning, and I think that's a mark of a great leader is just someone that's willing to continue learning, even if it's from peers or people that they would consider like under them in the organization.
1: Yeah. I mean, from, with, with, from my Forbes perspective, because of the conversations I get to have in the writing stuff, uh, this is, I'm telling you, this is like the trend in business and Mm. I'm not, I'm not usually a dramatic guy Well, I'm not ever a dramatic guy, but I'm telling you, I can't say emphatically enough, like when it comes to business perspective, this is the thing people are doing. Like I had a conversation probably three weeks ago with a I, they're some kind of medical company, and I genuinely have no idea what they do. They explained it, and it didn't make any sense because I'm not <laughs> I'm not in medicine. I'm a musician, and I do I'm a you know a leadership development. So I'm not I'm not a medical profession at all. But even they said, you know what we we've about we've abolished the annual review because they don't work and we're starting to meet monthly supervisors are required to meet at least once a quarter encouraged once a month with their direct reports to offer feedback ongoing where are you at where are your goals how can i help you achieve your goals how do i need to adjust your goals uh, that is a huge huge trend uh, in business because people just need to know what they're if they what they're working on is right and i to your yeah. point uh, it's it's a conversation, I think, that has been brought up because of millennials, but it's not something exclusive to millennials. And we True. need to make sure we differentiate that because everybody wants to know if the, if what they're working on is right. Like, am I wasting my time here or is this genuinely good? I just can make it a little better with a little bit of feedback that's ongoing. That's one mistake leaders make, too, is they assume that, one, like you said earlier, one-time feedback is worth anything. It's really not. Yeah. Because if you only offer it at the beginning, like let's say you hire somebody. And you 30 days in, you say, you know what, you've done really well so far here ways you can improve. But if you don't offer feedback again until, say, month 16, they're going to go, wait a second. It's been almost a year and a half since they last gave me feedback. Something's up. They're going to assign suspicion Mm -hmm. to your motives when that may not be true. But as leaders, we get so focused on our own thing. We forget it's been almost a year and a half since we gave somebody any good feedback. We don't have systems in place to regularly offer that up. Yeah, and,
0: and, and it's and it's my experience, too, that if you don't give them your mm-hmm. thoughts, they're going to make up thoughts for you. They're exactly. Go, they're going to read into things that you may not be thinking and totally misread it, or they might be dead on, you never know. But they, they usually will, you'll totally misread it, and it makes the situation bad and and and, and difficult to deal with when it doesn't have to be.
1: Yeah. One of the worst things we can do as leaders is allow people to write their own narratives because we've given them so much blank space to fill in on their own.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, so for for first steps in creating a mm-hmm. feedback system, you've talked about the senior leader can take the charge mm-hmm. or a under – uh, underling. I don't want to call it underling. <laughs> a person who's not the senior leader. I'm going to start a blog called the Underlings. I'm going to do it. It's the not, church. The
1: church underlings. Yeah.
0: Senior pastors not invited. You know. So. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. That, that sounds uh, like
1: a youth ministry band. It totally
0: underlings. does, doesn't it? It sounds like a you know Dead Poet Society group or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the underlings. <laughs> wow.
1: I That's think it was
0: wasn't it Tolkien and and um, oh gosh. Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis, thank you. Uh, They all, they were the Inklings. Yeah. And there was somebody else in there, I can't remember.
1: So sophisticated.
0: Yeah, so cool. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) tangent, sorry. Um, So anyway, uh, right now for you, listening to, you know, talking about feedback, uh, obviously Mm -hmm. you – you have a system of feedback, and sometimes that's in books and podcasts and things sure. that you're reading, and that gives you some some things to work with. So what's what are you reading right now? What are you listening to that's kind of blowing your mind on uh, whatever subject
1: that you're um, listening on? Yeah. So uh, lately I've been reading, um, I've been working my way through Edmund Morris' trilogy biography series on Theodore Roosevelt, of all people. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. I And I'm, man, plug in, shout out to your local library. Uh, I didn't want to buy it. So I went to the library. And our library actually offers Kindle editions of books. Nice. So I've been reading that on my Kindle. Yeah, man, for free. So I've been reading that on my Kindle. And uh, <laughs> man, that guy, that guy was fascinating. Like, talk about leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is the only story I'm going to share because I think it's funny. Remember, he was a president of the United States. Yes. Uh, when he when he was in college, Three he got terms, so mad. Three terms, right? No, that, that was FDR. This that was is FDR. Theodore Teddy Roosevelt. Oh, this was
0: te- – okay. I yeah, got it backwards.
1: So bully pulpit and a man in the arena and all that. Uh, but he was – he got so mad at somebody in an argument in college when he was at Harvard or Yale. Well, as, I guess it was Yale. One of those, anyways. He got so mad at an argument that he actually took a pumpkin and smashed it over his the guy who's arguing with head. Right? So, can you imagine if a presidential candidate now had done that in college?
0: Actually, that I, would be awesome. I don't think that don't, could be too far in our future.
1: I don't think so either. Uh, but anyways, so I've been reading that. Um, uh, as far as podcast, I have a I probably have twenty or twenty five in my on my iPhone that I kind of circle through. So the Tim Ferriss show is one I love to listen to. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tim Ferriss, he wrote Four Hour Work Week, which is a great book I think for pastors to read, if for nothing else to think about how can you work smarter, how can you yeah. how can you narrow, spend less time on things that should not require so much time, so you can spend more time on things that. Uh, do require more time right how do you focus more on people and you automate some of the some of the stuff that has to be done to support that but how do you how do you do how do you work smarter uh, so i love the tim Ferriss show really fascinating interviews uh i pop in and out of the art of manliness podcast uh, too <laughs> uh that's what i really enjoy i
0: just discovered that i, I saw it yeah. and i was like what is that i and i went and you, subscribed so i could yeah. check it out
1: and I manliness to it. blog is great uh, so that's a really interesting one. Uh, so I listen to a lot of leadership stuff, and then uh, every now and then I'll pop in and out of anybody who is into food. Out and Brown, um, he the guy who created the show Good Eats on Food Network, host a Cutthroat Kitchen on Food Network. Uh, he's he has a podcast, and he's interviewed everybody from this, the founder of Taylor Guitars to famous chefs and actors and whatever. And it's just really interesting in conversations, hearing people's stories. Uh, it just hearing two people have conversations that that are interesting. That's one thing I really love about podcast is hearing mm. people just interact on a wide range of topics. So yeah. there's some things I've been listening to, uh, and reading. And then I read a ton, uh, of research for the stuff I write for Forbes and the stuff I do on my own. Lots and lots of conversations with, uh, people from companies of all shapes, sorts and sizes too. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, and I'm telling you, I've said it, I know I've said it a couple of times already, but Um, this is an issue, this feedback thing, man, it's all over the place in business and as leaders, if we want to lead well, we've just got to, we've got to talk to our people more. We've got to be more open in our communication. We've got to make sure we're focusing on, man, are we really giving people the tools they need to get better? Are we equipping them with the knowledge and the perspective that we have to help them improve? Otherwise we're all kind of wasting our time and eternity is too important to waste our time, right? I mean, right. we've got to, I think the church can really take a note from the business world and get far more structured and intentional about helping our staff members, our our lay leaders get better. Uh, and feedback is one of those ways that, man, is just huge to be able to do.
0: Yeah, at the last church I was at, and then and then uh, this will be the last thing I really say. But at the last church I was at, we created a, a church staff culture that we all mm-hmm. contributed to, and how we're going to deal with yeah. each other. And yeah. then we all signed it, and even laminated it, and everybody got a copy. It was a big deal. Uh, just creating that culture together mm-hmm. was super helpful, and uh, you know I, I think that having a feedback system kind of that everyone's agreed to and everyone understands is just a really healthy way of doing it. I think for you're sure. right. That business world, uh, we sometimes resist some of that stuff, especially if we're a smaller church. We think we're too small mm-hmm. for that. But just like with communications, I mean, that's where our people are. That's what we need. Yeah. We're dealing with relationships. We need this kind of stuff, this structure. It, it's kind of like I heard this illustration from a pastor once. You um, You do. You, first, you have to put up the scaffolding before you can build the building. Mm-hmm. And if you want to build a church staff that is healthy and growing and uh, a nurturing place, the scaffolding is kind of like creating those systems. Like how do you cre- how do you communicate? How do you deal with mm-hmm. feedback? How do you do all this stuff? So uh, that keeps the building in place. And then once you, the building's in place, the scaffolding could just go away, you know. And then the building's there, and that's how we do things. You're so right. it becomes part of the culture. That's so, really interesting. Yeah, was, I thought it was a great illustration. I won't tell you who it's from, but because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, nobody wants to hear that guy anymore. So anyway, um, hey. I, I I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I, I'd love to just tell our listeners where they can get in touch with you, how we can connect sure. with you online.
1: Yeah, uh, go to I'm on Twitter uh, at wesgay w e s g a y. It's my name, uh, and then I'm also wesgay.com. And for your folks, if you go to westgate.com slash Seth Muse, go to that page. I'll have a couple of links to things that I mentioned, like a couple of the surveys I mentioned, if you want to see more data, particularly around millennials, uh, and then also some other resources about feedback and some other ways that I make and help, help your listeners, whether it's through the coaching or consulting, the organization, the company I work with. Uh, for coaching also does a lot of training and retreats and that kind of thing i know this time of year people are thinking about strategic plans and preparing for 2017 so yeah. if you go westgate.com slash seth muse i'll have several resources there for folks to be able to help them with their feedback culture and also some op- opportunities for uh, leadership development
0: that's awesome and and man i'll, I'll tell you everybody that's listening go in And looking at what Wes is going to put on there, it is going to be well done, it's going to be thorough, and it's going to be helpful. That's just your MO that I've noticed all of your interactions online. This is the guy to talk to when it comes to all this stuff. He knows his stuff. So, you guys go check that site out. Uh, It's going to be a really helpful read, and a lot of details there are probably really helpful. So, um, Wes, thanks for coming on the show. I want to do one more thing with you before we go. Uh, I prepared five on the spot and five questions on the spot. You've not seen these, and random questions for you. Are you ready?
1: Right. I am. Ready as I'll ever be.
0: (laughs) You cannot be prepared. Uh, Here we go. Question number one. Here we go. Can you sing a Disney song right now?
1: I mean, I can. (laughs) Would you be willing to sing it? i mean uh, yeah that what? yes i will which one do you want to know because i am basically a disney fanatic
0: yeah, you have two kids right little small kids
1: i do i have the oldest one is almost he'll be two in a couple of weeks the youngest one is four months they're both boys so no princesses in our house oh no princesses
0: uh, okay well we're going to take your word for it unless you really want to go for it
1: you know what i i uh yeah i i can sing it i know a bunch of them um particularly the whole soundtrack to cars because that's the new fascination in our house we oh watch gosh. it about twice a day so. oh
0: my gosh wow
1: but i'll just let people imagine what it sounds like i'm imagining it sing. now
0: I'm imagining a silky smooth kind of voice yeah it's it's going to really good <laughs> jazzy even with lots yeah. of nuance lots of nuance I'm, that's why i'm
1: not going to sing it because the way you just described it is far better than it yeah. would actually sound so i
0: i can just hear from your speaking voice the intonation that is there it's it's Ooh. it's chocolatey that's-
1: that's a fan. Intonation is a fancy word.
0: Hey, I, w- I was a music major too, buddy. All hey, right. Now. So, Watch uh, out. here's question two. How many hey. instruments can you actually play?
1: Uh, so electric guitar, acoustic guitar, bass guitar, uh, which I mean, if you can play one of those, you can play the others and then yeah. drums. And then I was also in a, uh, drum line sort of thing in college. We were four drum, four drummers and then 12 brass, uh, horns. And, uh, man, we traveled all over, we went to Moscow, Russia for 10 days and played churches and schools and festivals and all kinds of stuff here in the States too. So, man, that yeah. is
0: crazy drum line. Yeah. I, except for yeah, that, we were kind of, we we're kind of cut from the same cloth, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's awesome, man. Cause you're right. If you can play one of them and play the other one, you just pick it up mm-hmm. That's and, right. uh, and except the drums. The drums is more of a, a therapeutic thing for me, but I love them. That's uh, fun. it's an instrument you get to hit. That's fun. Exactly. Question three. What board game do you just dominate?
1: Uh here's my problem. I don't really like board games because <laughs> I if anybody's done the uh, Gallup strengths finders test, uh, one of my top ones is competition. Ooh. So if I if I don't win, <laughs> I'd rather just not play. So, oh yeah, so you're pro-
0: am, you're probably not a good person to play board games with. I'm the
1: worst <laughs> person to play board games with. Uh I don't even remember.
0: You ever flipped a board?
1: I've gotten close, <laughs> um, you know, when all Jesus in the temple. Yeah. No, I, I I gotten close. I'm trying to. I can't even remember the last board game I actually played because I also don't have the patience because like Monopoly will take days. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, I don't. I'm not. A, I'm the a terrible person to play board games with. <laughs>
0: okay, cool. that's awesome. Question four: If you could work as president of any company, which one, and what would you change first?
1: Um, man. it it would be yeah it'd be apple or disney because why not right yeah um let's i'll go with i'll go with apple because i've already talked about the disney thing Mm -hmm. um and if and if i was president of (laughs) apple uh man i'm trying to think what i would change
0: i would uh you'd put a headphone jack in there wouldn't you
1: yeah, I tell people to stop. Dr- I stop stop drilling into your iPhone Seven. Uh,
0: I've seen those videos. I can't yeah. believe they fell for that, man. Do not man, drill into your iPhone, people.
1: Please, Public service announcement: Keep that your w- power tools away from your iPhone Seven. Like that would seem um,
0: like a knowledgeable, <laughs> common sense thing to know, yeah. but
1: people oh, I'll, tell you, are what, I'll tell you what. I would. Now we're talking. I'll tell you what I would change. I would change. I would revert the app, the Mac Pro, back to the original tower design. Because that black Ooh. trash can thing looks ridiculous. <laughs> and as somebody who has a background in live production and video recording, video editing, all that world, yeah, uh, you can't customize the things.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and it just it looks like a trash can. Like it just looks like silliness. So I would uh, I would definitely go back. I would change that. And then I would also – the second thing I would do – you didn't ask for two. I'm going to give it to you. No, I won't. Is, uh, give it to me. I'm gonna, I want one of those tables they have in the Apple store like in my house. Those, those huge are like, tables? They're like five, they're like six grand a piece. I looked into it one time. Oh. They're custom built for every store, and I want the pow- I want the whole thing. I I want just the table. Like I don't want all the stuff in it. I want the table because <laughs> uh, it's awesome.
0: Well, I'm sure one of your friends could help you build one out oh, in your shed.
1: And I'm Baptist, so I have a third point, and then I'll, you know, we'll close with just as I am. And you an close with a
0: poem. I need to have a point. I close again. with a
1: poem, and we'll take up an offering too. Uh, the third thing I would do is I would probably stop having so many different colors of everything now because it's getting a little ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and in how many color options? So that's what I do.
0: Yeah. All right. Last last question number five: Which oh, world point. dictator do you admire most?
1: Oh my gosh. I'm
0: just kidding. Don't answer that. That's not yeah. the real question. All right. <laughs> I, don't,
1: I don't even know who is one. <laughs> they all kind of seem like dictators at one way. Which world point dictator or
0: do you admire most? I was happy. I was proud of that question. Anyway, here's the real question. What is your favorite way to cook a steak? Uh,
1: cast iron skillet. Uh, get your oven to 450. Put your skillet on top of the stove and get it like to the point where it's smoking on the top. And then take your steak, put salt, pepper, uh, garlic powder, onion powder on both sides. Liberal on the salt and pepper, not so much on the onion powder, powder, garlic powder. And then sear it in this cast iron skillet on both sides. So basically let it get almost black but not quite on both sides. And then when you're done with the second side, leave it on the second side still. And then take a a lot of butter and put it on top. And then put it in the oven. Your oven's already at 450. And let it cook until your desired – you know, I like it about medium – and then take it out, let it rest or let it sit in the skillet for about five more minutes now that it's out of the, the oven and, uh, and then cut into it and then take a spoon and scoop or take it out of the skillet, cut it up, take a spoon and scoop some of that melted steak butter juice and drizzle it on top and uh, thank Jesus for his provision of steak butter and cast iron skillets.
0: Wow, that has this has been the cooking show with Wes Gay. Thank you very much yes, for that thank answer. Thanks for
1: tuning in to Wes and Seth. Oh my gosh, in that's our church church kitchen.
0: I'm gonna listen to that so many times while I try to write it down. And, I'll tell you, I'll,
1: and do I'll, it. I'll, I'll throw this out. I'm a I'm a big food fan. I like to eat. I'm Baptist, so I watch a lot of Food Network too. Yeah. But I stole that from Bobby Flay. So yeah. anybody who watches Food Network, I stole. I didn't not original. Bobby Flay showed. I watched him do it one time. So Wes
0: Gay and Bobby that's, Flay.
1: Man, yeah, it is we' destined, you know for the, for, <laughs> for our for our Presbyterian friends, we were predestined to be together uh, <laughs> and work together, yes, um,
0: we want to include everybody because. Not everybody does. And knows. for our
1: non-Presbyterian friends, we chose to be—Bobby Flay and I chose to work together.
0: Yes. <laughs> there it is. All right. That's awesome. Great. <laughs> great end to this podcast. This is wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Wes, man. thanks so much for being on the podcast. And uh, you guys go to WesGay.com slash muse. You can find all those notes. Find him on Twitter. And uh, you guys hook up with him. He is a lot of fun online, very active, and very uh, helpful in understanding millennials. And I know a lot of pastors out there. <laughs> are knocking their head against the wall trying to figure this thing out just like every other person on the planet right now so uh you know how do we how do we reach the millennials you know how do we do that so go and check that stuff out and uh you're going to be hashtag blessed so thank you guys (laughs) so much for uh listening to the podcast and i will see you back in about two weeks and uh, we're out thanks see ya